listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 322. Wasn't our first Lafayette mixer amazing? Yes. So uh, did our first Lafayette Louisiana mixer. Um, by the time you hear this, it would have been the week before. Um, we had a great turnout, met a bunch of really great people. Um, hats off to the sponsors, um, both uh, Fence Maker and Lenny Gibbs. We were actually able to donate $1,500 to Acadiana Veterans Association. Awesome. Yeah, so for our first mixer, it was an overwhelming success. And I ran to several companies that said, we want to do this again. So, Oh, that's great. Audience, for 2024, be looking for more mixers in Lafayette, Louisiana. I got to see people I haven't seen in 15 years, Mark. <laughs> I know, Shout out to great. Brian Boyer. Yeah, it just, this the, the whole experience is really great. We're going to do more of that. Uh, which, by the way, audience, if you would like to uh, be involved with one of our mixers, we're looking for sponsors for 2024. Right now, every month next year is open except for October. It's a great way for you to get in front of our oil and gas audiences. It's a great way for you to promote your business. And every single mixer we do donates money to a worthy cause. So you're helping somebody out. So if you want to know the details, reach out to us. Just like this person left us a review. And yeah. if you, you would like to be like... F-I, Fi, smiley face, smiley face, smiley face. <laughs> it's really easy. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, if you want to try to remember, just love the podcast.com forward slash OGTW. Uh, go ahead and read the review. Okay. Five-star review. Uh, great podcast. Incredibly useful and easy to understand oil and gas news. Uh, this podcast has become an integral part of my understanding of news events and on having at times, different perspective on what I might be reading from other outlets. Listening to this podcast has been part of my weekly Friday ritual. Glad to have found the show. So, a big thank you for the five-star review. Like I said, leave us a review. If you love what we're doing, let us know. And if you want to if see If you some, don't like it, let us know, too. <laughs> let us know, too. I think Paige is still <laughs> a little perturbed. I want to fight someone. About Let's that one-star review we got last time. <laughs> that was hilarious. That, I'm not going to lie. It really was. It was... Um, it was funny. What was it, banging my head? It's like banging yeah. my head against the wall. Good, good luck with that. Anyway, uh, so let's get into the news stories. We've got a lot of stuff going on, obviously. Uh, the first one is Schumer and other Senate Democrats call for a federal probe of huge oil deals by Exxon and Chevron. So, of course, they pull out the antitrust guns saying this is going to violate antitrust laws and make things less competitive for the consumers, which are you and I. That's going to lead to higher prices. That's going to harm the environment. Um, and it basically, it's just going to make the world a worse place. Basically, a lot of hot garbage. Yeah. So let me kind of put this in perspective. So if we take the Exxon recent acquisition and the Chevron acquisition, right? Um, you know, Ac um, Exxon's trying to pick up uh, Pioneer. Chevron's trying to pick up Hess. If we took all four of those companies, Paige, mm -hmm. and we lumped them together, made them one company, right? they would control an amazing 4.9% of the U.S. output of hydrocarbons mm. and less than that globally. So it's less than 5% of the hydrocarbons coming on the ground would be controlled by these four companies we put them all together. Now, for all my buddies that know this, that work at Exxon and Chevron, 
Y'all are fierce competitors. <laughs> Very fierce competitors. There's no way y'all are going to be working together. In fact, y'all are going to be trying to one-up everybody. So this is actually is good for the consumer. But because by having more scope and more reach by the acquisitions of um, um, uh, uh, acquisition of Pioneer and Hess. Sorry, people, it's taking me a while to remember who bought what. It's getting such a, a crazy year. Um, by, by giving them by both Exxon and Chevron pick up these two companies, which were smaller competitors at the time, uh, it's to give them much more reach and scope. They're also going at a totally different strategy. So there's no way this violates antitrust. Exxon's uh, reinforcing its uh, unconventional U.S. land with the picking up a pioneer, especially with their, their resources in the shell plays. Right. Chevron's picking up Hess, which has a lot of uh, production and future production in other countries outside of the U.S. So, you know, one of them zigging, one of them zagging. Um, the, they talk in here about the amount of profits that uh, these both Exxon and Chevron has made uh, – in the last year or two, what they don't talk about is the massive amount of monies they lost in the last 10 years. Right. Um, I think once this, I don't, first thing, I don't think this will get to the courts. I think what's going to happen is both Chevron and Exxon are very aware that, um, that challenges to this acquisitions were going to be taken to the federal trade commission. I'm sure they already have planned out what they needed to vest of and what they need to move around so that there's no way anybody can even stop this. It also is not good for the consumer because the oil and gas business is getting rougher and rougher and it's 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 never been an easy uh, uh, industry to make money at and so naturally when things start becoming more commodities commoditized you see more mergers and acquisitions the flip side of what happens if these acquisitions don't go through unfortunately are things like bankruptcy people losing jobs you know that sort of stuff so um, i think this is going to go through um of course you know the the political side currently in the in the u.s that doesn't like the oil and gas industries could try to stop this deal well it's really happening because election season is <laughs> well, upon us why because because of that exact reason because of election season right. this has nothing to do with what's good for the companies the shareholders of the companies are you and i i actually am excited to see these deals go through and i think we're gonna see more of this so well, in that part wasn't that part of your predictions we haven't announced i haven't done the predictions yet i know but yes that's part of the predictions awesome which actually by the time this comes out uh, my predictions should be out actually the following week so stay tuned for that as well awesome looking forward to that okay so the next one is bt's interim ceo defends strategy Amid USA flurry of mega deals. All right, so their their acting uh, CEO, um, his name is Archinus Close. Archinus Close. Um, he is actually saying, "Hey, we're not going to do the same thing." He's telling shareholders this in the public. We're not going to do the same thing as Exxon and Chevron. Uh, we don't need to f- follow these big oil deals. And by the way. In my opinion, BP's growth engines will be clean energy and not the oil and gas side. Well, (laughs) (laughs) temporary CEO, you may want to look at a little bit of your history. Um, One of the reasons your temporary CEO, besides what the indiscretions that Looney had happened to him where he stepped down, is the fact that BP did not return the same value to its shareholders uh, as Chevron and Exxon because Chevron and Exxon concentrated on the hydrocarbon business and you and Shell didn't. And both of y'all are paying the price. Um, the clean energy business is something that's absolutely part of your mix, just like it's part of Exxon and Chevron's mix. But as the world continues to grow and the demand for energy continues to grow, it's becoming very apparent um, that the only solution that makes fiscal sense is the hydrocarbon industry. Um, 
you know, BP, come on, dude. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Y'all keep going down this route, and let me tell you what the next acquisition is going to be. It's going to be ExxonMobil picking up your best assets, <laughs> and you're going to be left with nothing, <laughs> or you'll be left with your worst assets. Um, nothing against it. Please, people, don't take it wrong. Nothing against uh, the low-carbon businesses. You, you look at what everybody's doing, including Oxy and Chevron and Exxon. That they're, Those are legit businesses. It's not greenwashing. It's coming. But BP, you need to close the gap, and you need to do it rather quickly. Yeah. Um, and, and quite frankly, as a shareholder, BP, I'm very disappointed in you. Um, you can do better. Um, you're one of the um, the super majors, and you're extremely good at making a profit on the conventional hydrocarbon business. You're extremely good at doing that very environmentally responsibly all over the world. And to think that you're going to be able to just switch a switch somewhere and get away from that business, number one, is foolish. Number two, it's not based on reality. And number three, haven't you learned your lesson yet? I mean, I, I, I totally understand how you want to have a mix in your portfolio. I totally understand how public perception has swayed what that mix is. I actually think it's good um, that the oil and gas industry is investing in things like direct air capture, carbon questions, sequestration, um, biofuels, even solar and wind, but where it makes fiscal sense. And right now, unfortunately, wind especially around the world is not making fiscal sense. Um, and, and no hate mail, people. It will come back and make fiscal sense. But we had, uh, you know, the world's politicians push too quick to move us over. You have these massive investments in, in wind, especially especially offshore, that just don't make financial sense. Um, and they're not paying it out. And unfortunately, a lot of them are, are going to go bankrupt, unlike the hydrocarbon business, which there's a ton of potential there. The world's at energy shortage. There's an increase in demand for hydrocarbons. The supply is not meeting it. So, BP, I just kind of hope and pray that uh, you come to your senses and come up with a strategy that focuses mainly on your hydrocarbon business and then look at your low carbon business uh, as number two way to generate revenue. Yeah. Alrighty, so next up we've got first licenses offered in the latest UK oil and gas licensing round. BP, are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> if you ever want to see a sign, this is, I don't know how much more of a sign we can make for you. And this is actually really cool. So, um, Unlike the wind applications, where they had one company apply in this part of the world. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. They had 115 applications oh, for the hydrocarbon licensing round. It's always great. Um, no, that, that really is good. Um, and of those 115 applications, uh, 27 licenses were awarded. Um, this is great. Uh, the blocks that they're putting up, or they did put up for bid, are, are good blocks. Um uh, companies could be able to turn a profit here. And the cool thing is, Paige, you know, we're hit, Europe's head into the winter, and there's really not much this these licenses and these rounds are going to do for this winter. However, I thought it was very strategic that Insta, the UK's North Sea Transition Authority, um, that are that release these licenses are releasing the ones that they can go into production as quickly as possible first. Oh, that's good. This way, they can hurry up and start resupplying their own needs for hydrocarbons, natural gas, and, and that's crude good oil. strategy. No, extremely smart by by them doing this. Um, and then they're opening up another rounds to have a, a wider series of blocks that will take longer to actually go in production. So there's currently 284 offshore fields in production in, in the UK side of the North Sea, um, and there's about 5.25 billion barrels uh, BOE that's projected to come out of that. Um, those hydrocarbons are about three quarters of the domestic energy needs for the UK, and that and that 
three quarter, you know, seventy five percent number actually is going to start to go up, even with the supply of, of wind and solar as the demand for energy goes up. This winter is going to be really rough in Europe. Uh, let's hope they don't have an extremely cold winter. But it's stuff like this by letting these licensing rounds go out and having the companies be awarded, uh, uh, making it easier for the companies to actually drill and go in production so that the UK actually can have access to their own hydrocarbons, which is only going to increase the energy security, keep people from f- freezing to death during the winter, and keep some of this political stuff from going on that hurts the, the, the citizens of the UK. So this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I hear we're going to have a pretty rough winter. I've heard it too. Now, of course, I do not get into weather predictions. Right. Um, which, by the way, have you ever wondered how people can predict what the weather's going to be on this planet 500 years from now when they can't predict what the weather's going to be like in three They're days? They're always wrong. They're always wrong. Just, and just, I, yeah. just bringing up a point. Like I know. I know. Poking the people that don't like our industry. <laughs> What's next? Uh, U.S. imposes sanctions against Myanmar's state-owned oil enterprise. And you pronounced it right. It is Myanmar. That's pretty good. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I'm, I'm kind of educated. Just, I know. I just, just a little bit. I, well, between you and me and our 2,002 million people <laughs> listening, I had to look up how to pronounce it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, just to make sure I pronounce it You know it I right. only choose stuff I can pronounce right. <laughs> <laughs> is that the secret? That is the secret. I thought it was all the crossword puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> well, that too, but um, yeah. All right, so uh, all joking aside, these sanctions were needed. So what's happening is the U.S. is announcing uh, partial sanctions against Myanmar's government because they're doing something they shouldn't do. And in that, their their basic kind of new military regime um, is taking cash and buying weapons for countries and groups that we don't care for. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is the right thing to do. Um, uh, The... um, what we're doing is actually putting sanctions on what's Mogi, which is the the minor oil and gas enterprise that prohibits Americans um, and European prints Americans provisioning, exporting, or re-exporting any financial services directly or indirectly for the benefits of the company. So, what does that mean? That basically means the U.S. has said that you can't use funds from this company's nationalized oil and gas um, organization to buy, broker, or trade anything, especially weapons. So this is should per, uh, curtail a lot of the weapon traffic. Um, now these sanctions are not being applauded, <laughs> right, in the military uh, groups in, in Myanmar. Um, unfortunately, it's not being applauded because they mark up the weapon deal, so it's a source of revenue for them. Mm. Um and then the, the U.S. has also actually picked out specific entities and frozen their bank accounts. So... Um, uh, other countries in that part of the world, especially Thailand and, and South Korea, really appreciate this because they're worried about some of their neighbors helping uh, weaponize um, some of the regimes out there that are more idealistic. And then, are we talking about like terrorist groups? Yes, that's what um, I figured. And then the other thing that's going on is with what's going on between China and the rest of the world and us. This is a little bit too close to the, the China Sea. And we want to make sure that uh, Myanmar isn't part of any type of conflict that may pop up. Or we want to make sure that they don't have the weapons to be a part of any conflict that po- that pops up. Um, so this is good stuff. Um, now, the one thing to remember is Myanmar... Uh, accounts for I think about 15 to 20 percent of thailand's total natural gas supply mm-hmm. so in retaliation because thailand is such a big supporter of the u.s it could be that minor cuts off that gas if they do that that is just another match to the tender what's going on oh, in, in asia pacific yeah. yeah that's so we're gonna keep an eye on this yeah for sure 
Okay. Um, Ukraine's special forces colonel played a key role in sabotaging the Nord Stream gas pipelines, a report says. So I was wrong. I thought Russia did this. Um, so basically what happened is this general planned these operations. Uh, he managed all the payments, all the logistics. He put together a six-person team. They rented a sailboat, which if you've been following this for any oh, while, yeah, they the, talked the about yacht. the sailboat. Was yep. it a yacht or a sailboat? It was a, well, it was a – yes, to both. It was a yacht that was powered by wind predominantly, so a sailboat. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, they rented all this using fake identities. Um, what I've heard is the fake identities were amazingly accurate, or I guess so, because it came from the government. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then they used deep-sea diving equipment to place explosive charges on the pipelines. Now this comes from the Washington Post. I've actually seen this reported simultaneously from other news organizations that don't necessarily like the Washington Post or the U.S., which makes me think this is legit. Now, the part of here that I have a really big problem with um, – is they're basically saying that even though Ukraine special forces planned this, paid for it, rented everything, uh, had the divers, had the explosives, um, they're saying that Zelensky had no knowledge of this. I'm calling BS. Me too. There's no way during a time of war with Russia right. yeah. that the president of Ukraine did not know what one of his top generals was doing, why they even think they could fool us in that. And if for some reason he doesn't know, it's because they, this is how the conversation went. Hey, I'm getting ready to do something, Mr. President Zelensky, that you don't want to know about, so I'm not going to tell you. And Zelensky had enough trust in his general to go, okay, you don't have to tell me. This way I can honestly say I didn't know about it, which still means you have some culpability. Yeah, it. exactly. Um, so uh, all my buddies in Russia, I am so sorry that I blamed your country for blowing up your own pipeline. I still think that there's in the realm of possibility you could have. But now that seeing that the proof has come out, um, it makes sense that Ukraine was trying to basically remove the source of revenue from Russia to help to hurt their war effort, which is a standard tactic used been used in the dawn of history. Yeah. Hmm. What are the repercussions of that? Um, the repercussions are once the war ever ends in in Russia and Ukraine, which will probably be a stalemate where both sides claim victory. I suspect that uh, Ukraine is going to be able to keep the oil fields that, that they wanted and also uh, keep some of the, the territory that was historically theirs. And I think Russia is going to also keep some territory that belonged to former Soviet Union. I think what's going to happen once all that's over is Russia is going to be able to go back to Ukraine and the international courts and, and have some type of legal action. Because um, isn't that considered a terrorist attack? Because it's... Because that's how we see it here in the United well, States. If somebody so, does something to any of our pipelines, it, well, we that's consider considered that. critical infrastructure, right? right? Um, I don't know what the rules are in, in other parts of the world. Right. I do know here pipelines are considered critical in, infrastructure by the Department of Fish Defense. They actually get telecommunication service priority, right? Which means that if something really bad happens, like we have a war here in the U.S., the pipelines right after hospitals and military police stations are the next ones to get service to bring them back online. So I don't know how it works over there. I would suspect that it works some someplace similar, but but once this war is over, because it's, it looks like it's been proven that Ukraine did this, there will be repercussions, and it will probably go on in the courts. All right, let's talk about some some protesters. So anti-oil protesters smashed glass covering famous painting in London. So you ought to see this picture. It's on TMZ. Where, um, well, yeah, it made it all the way to TMZ. <laughs> Page found this. So normally just stop oil people like to throw paint on priceless works of art or glue stuff to it. In this case, the painting was covered by glass. Now, there's a historic reason, which Thank is God. not in this article. This painting has been vandalized before. 
right? They had a, a feminist group activist years ago actually cut. And this painting is the, if you can picture in your head, is, is a Victorian age woman naked from behind. So you don't see anything, just her view from behind. And she's looking into a mirror that's being held up by a na- another naked woman. But you can't see anything that would be it's considered a D- taboo. It's a Diego Velasquez yeah. painting in and London. So it was vandalized years ago by a feminist group, and they actually used a knife and cut the painting. So this painting is very valuable. So what do they do? They enclose it in glass so it can't happen Smart. again. So what happens? Did you just stop oil people that try to ruin this painting? They couldn't hammer through the breakproof glass. So if you look at the picture, you can see the impact marks where the hammers hit the glass, and it and it broke the glass, but it didn't go through the glass. Thank Imagine goodness. what it looks like when somebody shoots bulletproof glass with a bullet right you can still see what the impact so anyway so here's the best part so while they're hammering away on this on this picture it gave the police time to get there and arrest their butts okay right? now here's my question what is going on with the world's museum security that when you see two or more young people and i'm not picking on young people but i am saying that all of just stop all's um, protesters are young people yeah when you say two young people walk in which normally probably don't visit this type of art gallery with backpacks. Shouldn't you keep an eye on them a little bit more than you keep eye on everybody else? Not only that, weren't they wearing shirts that said just up oil? Well, in the pictures, it says that. Please tell me that the security is not that blind if people walk in just up oil. I'm thinking they must have walked in different clothes and put the shirts on later. Maybe that's why they had the backpacks. Yeah. If they walked in with just stop oil, hey, every. Um, Museum security person in the world, let me give you a hint. If you see somebody walk in with a just stop oil shirt on, watch them. Right. Yeah. Or just um, immediately remove them. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what went on here. Good thing the painting wasn't damaged. Um, the good thing is they were arrested. Now, unfortunately, in this part of Britain where they were arrested, they were arrested for something that was very minor, so they didn't serve any jail time. Oh, um, that sucks. Yeah. Um, kind of would have liked to see them glue themselves. Uh, to the to something else and then have the Germans come in if, if you don't know what I'm talking about in a lot of places so the Just Stop Oil is predominant is all, only in Europe predominantly in the UK and when they glue themselves to the stuff in the UK police and medical are called and they end up helping them unglue their body parts right German, Germany has a different approach. So when they just stop all people glued themselves to the road, they cut out a six-foot piece of the road with their hands glued to it and go, you figure it out yourself. And that's the ones that lost pieces of their oh, hands. Yeah, right? yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. better deterrent. Yeah. Anyway, this paint wasn't damaged. It just stopped oil. Kind of got its point across. But I'm telling you, you know, I called this last year for this year that you'd have an anti – you'd have – protest against the anti-oil and gas protesters right and, and there's the just, just stop, stop pissing, pissing people off pissing people off yeah <laughs> yeah well they just stop pissing people off are really getting upset at stuff like this so their newest thing they're doing which i'm a, have a twitter connection with the just stop pissing people off is they've actually bought paint guns from america and they've managed to get um skunk smell paintballs Dude. Right? <laughs> so you see where this is going now. For all my buddies in the just stop pissing people off, I want you to be extremely careful how you use this. If you pull out a paintball guns anywhere in the world, it would not be the it, the police, the natural reaction to the police is that you have a weapon. They're not going to automatically know it's a paintball gun, right? So please, please, please don't get anybody hurt. Yeah. Let's just get anybody don't killed. Don't get shot, please. Yeah. yeah. So. 
don't do anything stupid like the just stop all people are doing. Um, but anyway, so they did damage the painting. They, they couldn't beat through the glass. And if you look at them, they don't look strong enough to beat through a wet paper bag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they were there so long trying to break the glass. They actually got caught by the police, which is good. Right. Um, so good job, whatever museum's police force this was. Yeah. Okay. So what do the Exxon Mobil and Chevron deals have to say about oils, the oil industry's future? Yeah, so this is actually a really interesting article in Investor Business Daily, which is not one of the things I thought Paige read on a regular basis. Obviously, I was wrong. Um, and I so do what, not read this on a... <laughs> well, so so what they're talking about is they're looking at what's going on now, and they're they're looking at the consolidation that happened um, actually in the 90s when um, Exxon bought Mobil and Chevron bought Texaco. And they're trying to see what's the same and what's different. And they missed a couple of things. They got some stuff right, but they missed a couple of things, <clears throat> probably because they're not an oil and gas trade rag and they don't really understand the industry, although they tried really hard. Um, so they're talking about the $60 billion worth of acquisitions um, that um, this is going to strengthen uh, Exxon's hold in the Permian Basin and Chevron's hold in South America, which I agree with 100%. Um, they see that this is a way for them to increase their leverage, which 100% I agree with that too. But the the... Consolidations that happened happened years ago in the 90s, even before that, was driven by different pieces of business. So back in the 90s, most people, um, and, and myself included, really didn't think that there was any other sources of hydrocarbons that we could tap into other than conventional reservoirs. So it was a acquisition being pushed by lack of supply. And of course, when there's lack of supply, the bigger the company you are, the better you can withstand that, right? And so that's why Chevron bought Texaco, and that's why Exxon bought Mobile, is is they didn't know yet about the Shell Revolution or, or the other conventionals. Now with the other unconventionals, and we all know that we're, the world will never run out of hydrocarbons, um, the, the what's driving this merger is not scarcity, but abundance. And they're looking at ways to leverage what's going on, and they're also looking at how to mitigate political risks. Um, you know, it, it, unfortunately, it used to be if you were an oil and gas company, the best company, the best country you could operate in was here in the U.S. for a variety of reasons. Um, the, there was a demand for your products. You had a good workforce you could uh, hire at a moment's notice. Um, you had the infrastructure to not only move the hydrocarbons around, but to move your people and your materials around. Now, the the super majors and the large nationalized oil companies are really looking hard at what's going on politically in different countries and trying to figure out where's the best place to minimize their political risk. And right now, this is November of 2023, the U.S. does not lead the world in the best place to minimize political risk. And so by making these acquisitions, they're, uh, both Chevron and Exxon are strengthening their positions um, and making sure that as the future need for hydrocarbons continues to, to grow, they're able to meet part of that need. Now, remember what I told you earlier, earlier that this is not a, a, a big oil conglomerate monopoly if you take um you know chevron and exxon and pioneer and hess all together as one company that's less than five percent of the u.s production so this is just them doing what they need to do in order to keep growing the other thing that's going on is that with these two mergers it's going to light a fuse other other companies bp i'm talking to you 
that <laughs> need to make a choice if they want to continue to grow on this planet, grow their business. Because this is the, the the tipping point. If BP and Shell decide not to make major acquisitions themselves, Chevron and Exxon are going to be so much bigger than, than, than Shell or BP that Shell and BP really not going to be able to compete. I called this a couple of years ago. I called it the birth of the super, the mega majors. Yeah. And I just missed it by about a year or two. These are definitely going to turn into mega majors. So um, now, of course, FTC is looking at this because of all the whining and complaining. Um, but with all the, the learning we've had in the last, say, 20 years, especially in the shell plays, Exxon is going to kill it and then take that those learnings and bring it to other shell ge- geology around the world. And Chevron is getting more involved in producing hydrocarbons from other parts of the world than they have been, even though they've always been a global super major. So all good stuff. Um, this These deals um, were expected. I didn't know when the timing would happen, um, but you can see much more uh, mergers and acquisitions in the next couple of years. Okie doke. Uh USA Energy Department looking to buy more oil for the petroleum reserve. Imagine that. Let me put this into perspective. So Department of Energy announced a solicitation or basically a bid for up to 3 million barrels of oil for delivery in January 2024 for a strategic petroleum reserve. So remember, this country burns 20 million barrels a day. Right. And the purpose of our strategic petroleum reserve is to allow our country, our businesses, and our war machine to continue to run if something really, really bad happens, right? I did the math. You want to know how long 3 million barrels a day will run this country? A week? Nope. Not even? Remember, we burn 20 million barrels a day. This is 3 million. 3.75 hours. Wow. So... If you don't know anything and you see this, hey, look, they're looking to buy 3 million barrels. You're going, look, they're doing the right thing. They're filling up the strategic result, probably reserve. Three and three and three quarter hours, really? That's the best you can do, right? You can spend $600 billion to make sure we have wind and solar power available to each other. You can't fill up the strategic petroleum reserve so we can protect ourselves if something really bad happens. Oh, no, you can, but you can only afford to get us 3.75 hours That's of additional ridiculous. backup oil. What, what am I supposed to say to this, right? Forget politics. Where is common sense? And maybe that's the problem is that there is no common well, sense. Well, I don't even think they understand it. They don't understand it. Or it's like you said, you know. It, it's it's all politics. Yeah. And and if and if you don't spend money backfilling the strategic petroleum reserve, you spend that money on other things, which gives you more political ammunition. How much is in there right now? I know it's real low. It's it, I don't remember what the or is it's ridiculously low. Last time I looked, um, I think we had seven days. So now we're gonna have seven days, three hours, and forty five minutes. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're laughing. This is not funny. No, it's not. The number one goal, no matter who wins this next election cycle, no matter which political side, the number one goal for everybody should be to refill the, the SPR so that we have that safety factor. Um, if we don't need it, then good. If we do need it, then we have it. The worst thing that happened is if we need it, something really, really bad happens in this world and we don't have it, there's no place for us to get it. Right. That's that's even scarier to so think of. We are so. absolutely keeping our eye on what's going on with this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. House passage of DOI Appropriations Act dubbed resounding win. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the problem. So this legislation um, basically limits the abuse of endangered species act and no hate mail people. I am very much a degreed environmentalist. 
Um, I love nature. I love our world's uh, animal life, plant life. I support it as much as I can. I also eat a lot of it. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> but seriously, I really am an environmentalist. I care. I really do. Um, so what's happened, though, is different organizations have used some of our laws to prevent expansion of oil and gas or, or the starting of things like pipelines or drilling by tapping into the Endangered Species Act. And I think I've talked about this before. So basically, they find an endangered species, in this case, the uh, sagebrush lizard and lesser prairie chicken. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, that just sounds funny. Well, at least the major prairie chicken is not on the endangered species list. It's just the lesser prairie chicken. Maybe that's why, because it is the lesser prairie chicken. Um, anyway, They'll find areas that we're getting ready to build a pipeline or drill some wells or even just build an access road that have these species like this. Then they will go to the state and federal government and they'll file petitions to stop the work because it's endangering the, the endangered species. And the state and federal government have X amount of time to respond. If they don't respond, basically, they automatically injunctions pass. And so what they do is they file so many petitions that the agencies can't keep up. So this really has nothing to do with protecting the endangered species and all about using just tying it up in litigation. Yeah. And so this provision that we're talking about right now, which is uh, HR 4821, the uh, appropriators act dubbing resounding when title that pages right off is basically keeping organizations from using, um, and abusing the Endangered Species Act. This is great. This is what we need. It's common sense. Basically, law says if oil and gas activities or any activities are endangering an, oil, uh, an endangered species, we need to study by the appropriate state's biological biology department or wildlife and fisheries. Right. Um, that study has no time limit to be completed, and and in the initial findings of that study before the study is completed if that state's wildlife fishery service or biology department says it looks like the endangered species is going to be okay they're going to let them proceed with the work with the understanding that when the report is completed if they were wrong and it will hurt the species they will stop the work to me that's common sense just common sense yeah now let me tell you what has to happen for this to become law it has to be signed by our current president (laughs) not going to happen Actually, I haven't heard anything about whether he said he would, he would sign it or not. This may be one of those things I'm wrong about. It may get on his desk. He may sign it, which would be great for everybody. Well, it's not like he reads anything. He just signs it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to hold so hard, Paige, not to fall into your lane and make fun of him and say something like... Just I just don't an, care. He just puts an X. <laughs> <laughs> Like the cartoons? <laughs> I, didn't, well, I didn't say that. I was thinking it. Oh, man. That was a good one. All right. Moving on. Uh, China to tighten regulation of oil, natural gas, and power monopolies. So you go, what the hell does that mean? It's already a communist country. They already control. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I think of this, when I read this article, I think of stuff like CNOC, um, uh, CNBC, you know, China Petroleum and Chemical Corporation, China Nationalized Oil Companies. Those are all controlled by the government. But think through this. Why would the Chinese, and the Chinese have, have done something that I would have swore is impossible. They've done it now for almost 40 years, and they've pulled it off. So there's still a communist government. The government controls everything. And yet they've allowed free enterprise to operate in certain areas with certain restrictions. And it's actually worked. How they managed to pull this off, I'm not sure. But it's working, and it's, and it's working for them. So 
why would China want to tamper with that since they already own the largest oil and gas companies and they own the largest electrical companies? Why would they want further controls? Well, one of the things you do under free enterprise is you look at where you make the most profit, right? And by the way, this is not in the article. This is me extrapolating from this article. So if I'm a, if I'm CNOC, if I'm China Nationals Oil Companies, and I have a bunch of crude that I just recovered, I produced somewhere, and I can sell it for $50 a barrel to the state, which is good money, or I can sell it for $85 to the U.S., Hmm. In in the free market economy, what would you choose? The higher margin, right? right? So you sell it to the yeah. U.S. If China and the U.S. are headed towards some type of global conflict, one of the first things you want to do, and you've heard me say this 10 times, is control logistics, mm-hmm. which is things like raw materials, steel, copper, fuel, which is crude oil, natural gas, and technology. Well, right now, CNOC, if it wants to, can choose to sell that oil to the U.S. or to England or to anybody at once. I think what China's doing is clamping down on that. In case something bad's happened, they can eliminate quickly the ability for the China companies to sell their products or services where they want to make the most profit and force them to keep it inside of China as a way to help their war machine. Hope I'm wrong about this. Um, If you read the article, it's basically saying – Everything I just said, except for the war stuff, where the large companies in China are state-owned, including CNOC and CNPC, like I mentioned, um, the uh, China central government um, wants to make sure that uh, these state-controlled oil, oil and gas companies and the exports of, of refined products and, and raw hydrocarbons are controlled. They want to give them quotas to ship up a certain specific volume overseas, blah, blah, blah. So this article is written where it's a business decision. I don't think it's a business decision. I think it's a government decision in case something bad happens from a military point of view. Makes sense. Okay. Saudi Aramco Q3 net income plummets 23% on lower oil prices. Yeah. That says it all right there, basically. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the price of crude natural gas is lower than it was a year ago. Their profits have fell. Um, we expect this. Uh, they expect this. OPEC is controlled basically by Saudi Arabia. This is how they set their quotas. Um, it is interesting to watch continually, even today, um, that nobody's drilling anywhere. And nobody's drilling is going to affect our production next year and probably the year after early to 25 because nobody's drilling today right and the demands could continue to go up and i know opec sees this i know saudi arabia sees this i see it um so if you look at what's going on they're willing to take a hit on their gross income and remember people they're not a they are a company but remember they're a country as well and one of those important things they have to do is keep their young people working and so they have all these jobs that they manufacture. I mean, they don't make them up. They're real construction jobs, real technology jobs or whatever, but the government funds it to keep their young people employed so the young people don't radicalize. That's something that we never think of so we don't have that tribal mentality here in Europe. Right. Yeah. It's something that's real important to them. So right now, they're still making a profit. They don't have to dip into their sovereign wealth fund, which is basically a savings account. However, if these low prices continue, uh, they will have to probably first quarter, maybe second quarter of next year, which tells me they're going to want prices to go up, which means they're also going to limit supply in a market that's already limited by supply. This is one of the reasons that I'm telling you that oil is going to break $100 a barrel and maybe even more that uh, the middle of next year is, is what's going on here. It's also hurting their investments. 
So they've realized they need to own more of the value chain. It used to be all they did was provide crude oil and hydrocarbon to the, to the world's markets. Now they're learning that refining is important, things like LNG is important. So without the higher income that's delaying some of their projects, which, like I said, those projects also help keep their youth employed so they don't radicalize. So I promise you, OPEC is going to do something with Saudi Arabia. Uh, Saudi Aramco's lead to get it prices back a little bit higher than they are now, which actually helps the U.S. and the European producers as well. It just doesn't help our world's population. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gulf of Mexico oil and gas lease sale postponed amid legal battles over endangered whale protections. These are leases that we've been talking about. It seems like a year, although it can't be that long. It keeps going back and forth where it gets approved, and then somebody brings it to court, and then a federal judge makes an injunction. And I feel like it was earlier it. this year. I think it was the springtime. Yeah. So the the I'm not going to say the newest thing, um, but but what's now delaying the leases is that there's um, is there's a legal battle over whales in the Gulf of Mexico and the protection of those, of those whales. Um, because some of them are endangered species. Now, that's if you remember, I mentioned a while back about the regulations around uh, <laughs> crew vessels traveling at night. That was one of the reasons oh, she yeah. was the whales. <laughs> so I decided to do a little bit of research in this. And, you know, I know a little bit about wildlife. Yeah, a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> so let me tell you what they're doing with these whales. Let me tell you the math they're using. <clears throat> this environmental group that has stopped these lease sales again are saying that these whales need about three acres each to make sure they can move around freely and find sufficient food. Now, let me tell you the fundamental problem with thinking of it that way. If you imagine that, imagine 20 whales needing three acres each. Imagine a grid, and these whales are evenly spaced out over this grid, each one of them having three acres, a circle of three acres, you know, drew a circle on each whale, right? Can you picture that in your head? No. Yeah, I mean, I can, but like... Well, go ahead. Whales travel in, in packs. Oh, okay. packs. Yeah. yeah. They don't travel individually. They don't need three acres each, right? That's so ridiculous. So, the fundamental understanding of how much um, space these animals need and why they need the space isn't even understood by the no. people that filed this injunction. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is. When you think of the ocean and you think of whales, you have to remember it's not two-dimensional. The whales don't just live on the surface. Right. In fact, most of their food, depending on which whale species you're talking about, either comes from very deep in the ocean or from other parts of the world. So pick something like the humpback whales, right? They migrate from Hawaii to the Arctic. They go to Hawaii to breed, right? Yeah. And that's a little bit of a swim. Yeah. Right? Let's, right? Yeah. They go to the Arctic to feed. So the amount of space they need in Hawaii is different because they don't feed in Hawaii. Right. They do feed in the Arctic, right? It's the same way with these whales. It's just different. They just don't know anything about whales. They, they literally know nothing about whales. And so, of course, our current administration is applauding this. Uh, this because they order. also don't know anything about whales. <laughs> they don't know anything about anything. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, so this is not only not helping the whales, which I could not find a single study where anybody's actually tracked any of these whales to understand their migration, understand their food needs. This is almost like you and me just made this up and put it in front of a judge. And for some reason, the judge bought it. Judge also doesn't know anything about whales. Yeah, I fully expect this to be overturned. Um, but unlike the UK, who's rapidly trying to get wells drilled to increase their energy security, 
Um, we're not doing it. This has been going on in the Gulf of Mexico for for pretty close to a year. We need to start drilling. Nobody's drilling right now. And now we have the federal government using, once again, um, tactics that just are not based on reality to prevent us from drilling. And the world needs these hydrocarbons. So let me tell you what happens when we can't produce hydrocarbons here, which, by the way, we produce the most environmentally responsible, lowest carbon hydrocarbons in the world. The world's could get hydrocarbons from somewhere else, like exactly Russia, yeah, like China, who honestly don't care about the environment. So this isn't helping anybody. I, I, I just, regardless if you like the oil and gas industry or not, at least use some common sense. And when it makes no sense to do something, don't make stuff up. Like this whale needing that much so space. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I'm, I am by no means a whale expert, but I understand <laughs> the, that animals need X amount of space. They need space to breathe. They need certain types of food stocks. Because you're and, actually educated. I'm actually educated. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. All right. So let's move on to Mountain. My favorite one of oh, today. Oh, is it? Is yes. it? Oh, oh, Mountain Valley Pipeline sues protesters for obstruction construction. How Finally. Do you, how do you say it in Cajun? Booyah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so the developers of Mountain Valley Pipeline, you heard us talk about this, about the protesters who chained themselves to equipment. Then you had the indigenous tribes step in, um, and it was just it's just a freaking mess. And remember, the some of the protesters actually brought axes and chopped up equipment. Oh, yeah, that's this, right. This is a mess. That had a lot of potential for people to get hurt worse than they did. Luckily, nobody was really hurt. They had some bruises and scrapings. Anyway, so they had some protesters that um, that were involved in this uh, 7.2 billion with a B natural gas project um, that chained themselves to equipment. Um, and in court, seems that the Mountain Valley Pipeline sued these two individuals. Which uh, this is what we need to have happen. We need to sue the people. The boots on the ground, yep. so they understand the consequences of their actions. Um, anyway, they sued them in a federal court in Roanoke, Virginia, uh, and the, the suit was basically saying that they coordinated with others to illegally attach themselves to land and construction equipment used to build this pipeline, which pushed the project back, um, and that caused uh, substantial delays and expenses because of all the stuff they had to do after this was all over. Um, the court sided with the Mount Valley Pipeline. And my understanding is they haven't been sentenced yet, but they could both face up to 10 years in jail and a $5 million fine. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. You do something that stupid, you should go to jail and you should pay a fine. And I like the fact they're actually targeting individuals instead of organizations. Right. Yeah. Um, the organizations have the money to hire lawyers and to fight this on on, on grounds that just make no sense, right? Mm -hmm. Individuals need to learn that there's consequences for doing stuff like this. And the consequences when it's this severe because people could have died from this right the consequences they just need to be don't, people don't well. understand how dangerous that are was. you kidding me a natural gas pipeline like that's not something you chain yourself to much less the equipment that you're using to build it it's 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 crazy i am so glad to see some court with common sense that they didn't look the other way and they took these two protesters um we will report back on what happens after their sentence of course we will Yes. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah, we're done. Well, I just not really get, done. Well, I mean, I, I just need to do the red count, so I'll yep. do that real quick. Uh, United States is at six hundred and sixteen, down two. Canada's up three at one hundred and ninety-nine. Internationally, we're up at twenty. We're up twenty-two. Uh, Nine sixty-two. 
that's good numbers going the right way. Yeah. What else is good numbers is our Sunday update. Check it out. It's hilarious. We have recipes in it, which by the way, Paige, you probably don't know this. Probably not. You and I are both from South Louisiana. Right. You and I both have a long history of food and of cooking and making delicious things for other people. Yes. I'm putting some of my own recipe, my own family recipes Ooh. in the Sunday update, right? So we're going to have some of Marco Kors Cajun history, family recipes in there. I uh, might have to do that too. We'll get some of Paige's recipes. I heard our marketing ninja Jordan has a killer recipe for cinnamon rolls. <laughs> and by the way, the Sunday update's not just recipes. We have some insider information each week that helps you understand what's really going on in the oil and gas industry. We have some humor in there, a bunch of coupons to save you a bunch of money. Um, and it's that, 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 Sunday update has grown from zero to 21,000 subscribers in six weeks. So That's obviously amazing. people like it. Uh, go to the show notes and sign up for it. It's free. It comes out every Sunday. I like buy merch, y'all. I want to see somebody wearing my shirt. Um, we've had our merch stores really taken off. We had a lot of people uh, bought a lot of merch recently. Somebody bought like nine things. Yeah. Um, so go to OGG and hit the merch store. We have new shirts and new stuff coming out literally on a, on a weekly basis. Um, guys, we're headed toward Christmas. Oh, that's a great point. And guys, I don't want you to be the guy in the mall on Christmas Eve night trying to buy whatever's left in the store. Simply go to OGGN.com, hit merch, find something for your significant other, buy it for her now. I'm going to buy You know what? I'm going to buy my dad a t-shirt with my face on it. I hope he's not listening. He's not listening. (laughs) Go buy your significant other stuff in the OGGN merch store so you're all ready for Christmas. It'll make so much better. And if you have people in your family that don't like the oil and gas industry. Oh, that's even better. (laughs) Let's start some fights, y'all. We have the perfect shirts for them in there as well. <laughs> um, speaking of what's perfect, First Friday Q&A, if you want to uh, submit a question for Paige and I to answer, it's really simple. Um, go to OGGN.com, um, and there's a place for you to submit a question. Remember that the goal is not to stump Paige and I, but to help educate your peers in the industry. We already did the weekly rig count. LinkedIn company pages, go freaking sign up for that. Um, if you want myself or any experts to come speak, um, I actually had somebody reach out today, Paige, wanting to get me to do a keynote in December of 2024. That's how far wow. away they reached out. Well, so I mean, let's, let's get prepared. Yeah. So um, needless to say, if, if you want me to come speak somewhere, you probably need to get on my calendar relatively soon. I did mention the uh, uh, the industry mixers, very inexpensive way to, to get from a bunch of prospective clients and our audiences and donate help us donate money to a worthy cause. If we want to talk about any of that, reach out to us time to get out of here and we managed to do this whole show without Paige saying she was hungry which is another milestone uh man you ruined it (laughs) just remember folks do great work pay it forward and we will see you next time tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of oil and gas this week podcast a production of the oil and gas global network learn more at oggn.com